number 50. Genesis chapter number 50. And as we uh, do to so, I can just imagine. I heard somebody talking about babies just before the service. And uh, I, uh, I heard it. I heard no longer are we praying for a baby, but we have a name. And I thought that was kind of funny with the opening illustration that I have in the sermon because uh, from the very time that you come out of the womb, you begin to interact with people. You know that. Uh, you begin to interact with people. You say, oh, no, I didn't interact with people until I was two or three. Hogwash. i just tell you that up front. Because it was very simple. It was funny because you, uh, you come out. I remember watching uh, Brittany when she was born. She uh, she come out and and uh, uh, I could tell you all kinds of funny things, but there's a gentleman by the name of Dwayne that come down to the hospital, and uh, Dwayne comes down and as he come through the door into our room uh, that day, I remember him coming through and he goes, "Give her to me, give her to me," and he started making faces at her. And you know, the more faces he made, the more cooing she did as a baby, typical baby. But what, what do you have here is he's making faces, she's cooing back at him, and there's interaction going on. We, uh, we look at it and you go, there it is. And I could take you through and I could pick on Hannah and, and tell you that once again, somebody came to the hospital, let me have her. Here you go. That's after up all night, you know. You got here, take her, please. And uh, here, and what do they do? Oh, she's so cute. And it's like, oh yeah, uh huh. And you know what? From the time you were born, from the very beginning, we began to interact with people. If you don't believe it, the Kellys aren't here, and I'm so prepared for little Lily to help me with this illustration because she interacts with everybody, doesn't she? All of you know, y'all start giggling because she does. And uh, with all kinds of spunk and all kinds of attitude, she's old enough that she's, she knows better, but she doesn't. You know what I mean? I mean, there's enough of that piece where she knows better, but she doesn't. So it's like, boom, I am here, and she doesn't have to proclaim it either. She comes in and takes control of the room when she comes in. I think it's funny to watch her because there she is. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. We, as we interact with folks, though, you grow up in a family. You go to school. Maybe you play on a team or maybe you uh, join a club. You get into business. You raise your family. You discover there are two situations you can't avoid. And here it comes. The one that befalls us no matter what, how good a person we might be and no matter how hard we try and no matter how nice we are, We'll get in one of these two situations. We'll need to be forgiving or we will need to be forgiving. We will need to either forgive somebody or we will need to be forgiving. It always comes about. Matter of fact, if we're honest, more times than not, we're probably going to have to do both. Probably going to need to do a little bit of both. And so we, uh, we have been working in a series I've titled it mirror image and it's about character we're talking about the virtues that make up the kind of character that we all uh, ought to have and and that God wants us to have perhaps forgiveness demands more character than we really realize perhaps uh, uh, as, as we do so have you ever been hurt mistreated or disappointed 
We all see in there, and you go, check mark, check mark, check mark. Uh, hurt, disappointed, mistreated. There we go. And right now, you think about the person of the persons that hurt you the most and mistreated you the most, disappointed you the greatest, and one of two things is true about you right now. Either you have truly and totally forgiven that person or those people, or you haven't. Either we've forgiven them or we haven't. You know, it's, it's just reality in there, and we have to be honest. It may be the hardest thing we've ever done. If we haven't, it is because it's so hard that we don't think that we can. We hang on to. See, one of the reasons why the Bible is so valuable is because it gives us real-life examples, shows us people who faced real hurt, heartache just like we do. Rather than becoming victims, they became victors. We, uh, we can look and see, rather than sinking into the quicksand of, of bitterness, and that's easy to do, get into, into that area of, of bitterness, they were able to, to get, on, uh, get over to the oasis of, of forgiveness, and the, the poster child for, give, for forgiveness is a man named Joseph. That's why we're in Genesis chapter 50, because we see, and in case you uh, don't know his history, let me give you a quick view. A quick view. So here we go. To say he grew up in a dysfunctional family would be somewhat a gross underestimate. If his family had been alive today, he would have never heard the Kardashian. His dad fathered 13 children, four different mothers. Two were his wives. Two were his mistresses. He had 11 brothers, one sister. Ten out of 11 brothers hated his guts. And because they were all actually just his half-brothers, if you've ever experienced sibling rivalry, then you know what Thanksgiving must have been like in Joseph's house. It had to be brutal. His mother was his father's favorite woman, and Joseph was his father's favorite son of the favorite woman, and eventually Joseph became uh, the favorite son. His brothers grow to hate him so much that they hatch up a scheme to kill him, and being away from their father, they put him in a pit, they leave him for dead, only to be persuaded by his oldest brother not to kill him. They wanted to kill him. So instead, they sold him to human traffickers for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph is taken away from his family about 17 years of age, didn't even get to graduate from high school. Never, he thought, to see his father again. Murphy's Law knocks in, uh, kicks in for Joseph, and things just seem to get worse. Walk through his life, and you go, he becomes a slave on, plan on a plantation for 11 years. When he refuses to sleep with his master's wife, she falsely accuses him of rape, and he's thrown into prison for something he didn't even do because his brothers, because of his brothers, Joseph have gone from a pit to a plantation to a prison, and he hasn't done not a one thing wrong. <clears throat> the story has a great ending because he eventually becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Figure that one out thanks to his brothers. In a series of events, the narrative goes full circle, and now his brothers are at, at his mercy. Genesis 50, he can do anything he wants to them. And he would in the eyes of most people. And the law, he'd have been justified. He could have done about anything to them. He could have tortured them. He could have, you look at it and you say, wait a minute, the, the guiding principles in so many folks 
power to get even and hit back harder than you were ever hit. Joseph doesn't want, doesn't do what many consider to be normal or even expected. Instead, he forgives and he shows us not just how to forgive, but why we should forgive. He shows us why we should forgive. He didn't, by taking a wide-angle view, anyone who knows photography knows that one of the staples in, in a photographer's kit is, is that wide-angle lens. It, it expands things out nice and wide, and, and uh, a wide-angle lens is, is a lens that's... Uh, with a shorter focal length and wide field of view, and it allows the camera to capture, capture so much more in the scene than just a normal uh, field of view. So it allows the camera to ca capture more of the scene with a, than a normal lens can. Well, when Joseph took a wide-angle lens view of his family, a 30,000-foot view of what had really happened, forgiveness wasn't just the only option, but it was the best option. It's the best option. So... How did Joseph keep from burn, being burned by the fire of bitterness? Well, avoid drowning in the sea of bitterness. Well, become immune to bitterness? It's because he refused to do four things that uh, even though stated negatively will bring a positive result for us and, and uh, will help us refuse to do them as well. And I'd ask you tonight to be sure to dig you ever go out in the in the summertime and you go out and there's the garden, there's the flower bed, and you got one of those ugly weeds that's been growing? It's been growing since back in May. You dug it out in May once and you didn't quite dig it out enough and you, you realize that now here you are in June or maybe even July and you're, you're out there picking at it again. It seems like it's the same thing and it just keeps coming up it wasn't I didn't completely deal with it you know that's one of those dangerous places for us to be uh, in the area of, of, of forgiveness is not taking care of things not not forgiving or and uh, and not uh, not being sure that we got right down because uh, you realize bitterness it's a deep root. The scripture talks about it. We could go through several verses that, that speak of the deep root of bitterness. And some of you kids might look at me and go, oh, now, preacher, I ain't got no bitterness. But you know what? I find it really funny that I guarantee if you give me five minutes, I could have you stirred up with me. And I could pick on something, and I can look at Amanda because she's giving me the frown right now. And uh, I could look at Amanda, and I, I could stir her up. And she would literally come out and I'd say, oh, there it is. And I could push that button. And do you know what bitterness does when you push that button? It rages its ugly head. And it's always ugly. It usually comes in the form of anger. It usually comes in the form of anger that is not be angry and sin not, like the Bible said. It's usually an anger that's much deeper than that, much uglier than that. It's mean and it's vicious. So as we're digging in tonight, I'd, I'd ask you to do this. If there's a place of bitterness in our heart and our life, let's take care of it today. Let's be sure we, we dig in. And we dig that thing all the way out so it doesn't pop up at another point when somebody pushes that hot button.
number one, never take the place of God. Notice what happens. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse number 15. We get here and it says, And when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said to Joseph, Will peradventure hate us? And will certainly requit us all the evil which we did unto him. Oh, sure enough, he's going to take us out. He's, he's going to pay us back for all the wrongs that we did uh, to him. And Joseph had been reunited with his brothers, his father. They, they lived together for, for about 17 years. And Joseph has forgiven his brothers already. He's treated them with kindness. And now his dad has died. And although Joseph had already forgiven them, told them that he had forgiven them, showed them that he had forgiven them, they doubted it. They questioned it. They had convinced themselves that the only thing holding Joseph back from getting even with what they had done to him was dad. But now he's gone. The real problem is they were still feeling guilty over what, had, what they had done to Joseph even though they had been forgiven. And there's a great lesson there to, to learn about guilt. There are two kinds of guilt. Legitimate guilt is when you've not asked for forgiveness. Illegitimate guilt is when you have not accepted forgiveness. One of the reasons they had never accepted forgiveness is because as we read in the Bible, we don't see that they ever asked for forgiveness. They never admitted their guilt. One of the reasons they never accepted forgiveness is because they never asked for it. And for the first time, they do what they should have done 17 years before, and that's confessed. That's confessed. We did it. So they sent word to Joseph. Notice in verse 16, he sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. We walk through and you see him weeping there and they're fearful and desperate. They even make up a story about how their dad was leaving word to tell them to forgive. His brothers are still lying and conniving and trying to save their own skin. Joseph breaks down weeping because he realized his brothers didn't really believe him. Even though he had extended forgiveness, he had not experienced, they had not experienced that forgiveness. The good thing is the brothers are now given a a real confession. There are four words used for sin in the Old Testament, and there are three of them used right here in this verse. Really makes it kind of neat because you look to transgression, to sin, and to evil. In other words, they've emptied their clip. They they emptied everything they had. They gave it all. Here it is. They they finally they've they've given a full, faithful, final confession, total truthful admission. For 17 years they've been hanging on to this prison of guilt, living under the shadow of it. Just hanging on to all that guilt and fear. And, and, and they should have been enjoying the sunshine and the grace of forgiveness. They, instead they're learning that the only key that unlocks the door was the guilt that was there. The prison that was there was the key and the key is the confession. They had to bring, the, bring it before him. Now we're introduced to Joseph's amazing response. 
I like how one writer wrote, and he said, uh, this is Joseph's finest hour. I, uh, I wish that you could write this of me. You know, as I look at Joseph, I go, I wish I could, could, could hang my hat on this one as well. But here we go. Verses 18 and 19, it says, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. Notice he didn't say that he was God. He's in the place. He's in a position. What Joseph is saying is, I might be the prime minister of Egypt, but God is the preeminent master of the universe. Since sometimes I need to receive forgiveness, then I must always be willing to give forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's good. See, we can forgive. We must forgive. We we will forgive when you remember just as, as God has forgiven you, we're to forgive others. Never take the place of God. Never take the place of God. Number two, never forget the providence of God. Joseph is just getting warmed up. He's just getting started with a wide-angle view, and, and uh, he's looking at this, and he gives us a theological truth that, that once we truly believe it, will permanently change our behavior. And here comes the reason Joseph was able to, to behave the right way in this situation is because he believed the right thing. Remember, belief always determines our behavior. Always determines our behavior. What I believe, what you believe, tells me all the time. Your behavior tells me what you believe. See, you walk out the doors and you go to cussing out in the parking lot and I go, ah, I got you. I know what you believe. Oh, man, guess what? The Bible tells us time and time again that lying is an abomination to the Lord. We read that not too long ago here recently, and lying is an abomination to the Lord. You know what? If we're lying, you know what? We're disappointing God. It says everything. Our behavior speaks of what I believe. What do I believe about God? If I believe enough about Jesus, I ought to control my behavior to where I don't do the things I know that are wrong. That's a simple principle, but, but here we are, Joseph's finest hour, never forget the providence of God, so he and they intended harm, but God intended it for good. We can look there in verse number, I believe it's verse number 20, he says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Remember you guys told me? Yeah. Remember you did this? Remember you did? Oh, man. We could go down the list. We could take the whole time walking through and say, look at what you guys did. And pointing that finger there all the way. But he says, what? You guys meant for evil. God meant for good. He took care of it. He, he, he didn't sugarcoat it. What they did, he hit it right where they were. You realize when people hurt, mistreat, disappoint, throw us under the bus, the First step of forgiving them is to acknowledge that they have. We have to remember when it seems like everything's out of control, God's in control. When it's all chaos, behind everything that, 
that happens to us, even the bad, the evil, the horrible, God intends it ultimately for our good. It's obvious he couldn't, he could have pretended his brothers, uh, uh, prevented his brothers, I'm sorry, from throwing Joseph into the pit. God could have said, ah, we're not going down that way. God could have prevented Joseph from being sold into slavery. Those folks could have said, no, we're not buying him. He's, he's not worth it or whatever. But God could have prevented him from being falsely accused. Could have settled that matter all in one stroke. And you look and you say, God could have prevented Joseph from being thrown into prison and what his brothers had, had scorned, and a scorned woman and a gullible master intended for evil, God intended for good. In fact, there's an order in this verse that we have to keep in mind. A big view of all the bad things that ever happened in this life. Notice what it says. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. You realize, as we go through, I'll give you an alliteration that goes, God, grief, God, good. Grief, God, good. You go, no, preacher, the, those three words sum up the providence of God. Providence of God is working in our life the entire time or, or in the entire universe, wherever we might be. And have you ever heard the devil's in the details? Say the devil's in the details. And, and well, God is in the details. God is in the details. The devil in there, God never has to say, well, that wasn't in the script with God. It's not there. Everything's in the script. See, in the movie of our life, there are going to be valleys, there's going to be deserts, there's going to be bad times, there's going to be good times, good and evil. And when the movie ends, it's all going to work out for our good. Now you guys know I pick on a certain movie channel frequently. My wife's going to go, oh, I like pick on a certain one. Bethany's already there. Bethany, how do all of those movies end? All of them. They all kiss at the end of the movie. It's all all right, isn't it? It's all all right. Let me give you better than that. Let me give you better than the end of the movie where it's like, oh, the guy finds the girl and the girl finds the guy. and Oh, it's wonderful. How about if we do this? How about at the end of the movie of our life, there's eternity with Jesus? How about at the end of our life, the movie of our life, we get to walk streets of gold. We get to go to a place that's been prepared for us. We get to go to a place where, where when we walk into the heaven's gates and the angels are there and the angels are welcoming us, that we can say something that they cannot say, and that is that I was bought with the blood of the one who's on the throne. I can walk through and say, there it is. I, so much more. You say, that's so much better than that movie where, oh, but it makes me feel good. We watch that movie and it makes us feel good. I was laughing last night. I might as well tell on myself since I'm already digging the hole. I was watching last night. I come walking out of the office. I'd been back in the office and I come walking out. And in the living room, Heather had all of the kids. And I say all of them except for, I think, Brittany. Brittany is upstairs doing college work. And all the other kids, they're sitting there. And I poke my head into the living room and they're all there. 
They all had a smile. Their mouths were all open. I wanted so bad. I don't remember who. I think, I'm not sure who it was. Came out in the kitchen and I said, I so bad. I wanted to take a camera and stick it through out of the dining room into the living room and just fan it all the way around. Just get everybody's picture. I said, that would, I would have just laughed too much. And I said, you know, that's just, to me, it, may, it tickled me to, to, to get to laughing about it. But at the same time, I look and I go, wait a minute here. So much better when I don't place myself in the position of Almighty God. The providence of God, he's got better. See, Joseph would have never guessed he's going to be the prime minister. And he wouldn't have been the prime minister if God wasn't in it. No way, no how. See, Joseph was not sold into slavery. Well, God never has to say it went on the script. Let's go back there so I put my thought together. Joseph was not sold into slavery but put on a plantation or thrown into prison because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not true either. Because the providence of God, he was in the right place at the right time. He was right where God wanted him. Do you, you realize what that means? It means that there's no such thing as luck. No such thing as the word luck. Ah, I got lucky. I, I, uh, that word, we call someone a lucky dog or we wish people luck. We, we talk about the lady luck or tough luck or good luck, bad luck, rotten luck. And people say, uh, thank their lucky stars and like the cereal, lucky charms. If you, ever, uh, if you think every event in life is random, nothing is up to chance. Everything is up to God. Realize that settles it. Some of you, I'm going to show my age. You guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say this, but it was common when I was a kid. If you wanted to have good luck, you had a little thing that you could hook up to your, your belt loop. Well, sometimes you carried it in your pocket. I hear the older, I hear the adults laughing because they know. I don't have to tell them anymore what it was. It was a furry thing, a little furry thing with it, and, and it was a rabbit's foot. You would see a rabbit's foot hanging from rear view mirrors and cars. And I always thought it was funny. Once I got a little older, but I want one until it hits you that the rabbit who lost his foot, he wasn't so lucky. <laughs> Something about there wasn't so much luck going in that one. We learned from Joseph that he had not gotten to be prime minister of Egypt because of luck. It wasn't because of his resume, but because of the people that he knew. No. Because of his influence? No. Not because of his politics. None of the above. It was because of the providence of God. Remember all the bad things that happened to us and all the people, bad people that do them with the providence of God. God will use that, use them and what they do ultimately for our good. Think about Job. We were there with Job. Set down, but think about Job, and you remember Job. All his friends were what? They bailed out on him, didn't they?
You think about Job and he, you, or you realize that you go, wait a second, his whole family did everything they could to, to wander away or to walk away or to get him to walk away. But Job stayed faithful no matter the case. Now I'll give you one last one that we come into. And, and uh, as we're looking at Joseph in, in uh, this situation, never doubt the plan of God. Never doubt the plan of God. Consider the, the next part of, of the statement that, that uh, as we've been walking through and, and uh, we look there in Genesis 20, or 5, chapter 50, verse 20, he says, but as for me, or as, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is to this day to save much people. See, just exactly what was being accomplished, God's plan. God has a plan for everything and everyone and everything and everyone is included in God's plan. See, the plan will always accomplish what is for our good and for his glory. God's, God's got a plan. See, I didn't get the size I am because I don't like to eat. Because I do. I like to eat. And you know what God did? God sent me just the right woman. God sent me just the right woman. Heather and I got married. I know it's hard to believe, but I was skinny. I wasn't like RJ, though. Not even skinny. She's going, no, no. But I, uh, all these years, I've managed to, I can't blame her. I have gained my own weight. But I do know this, that I know that my wife, there comes times of the year that she likes to bake. Sugar is just my enemy. I want to eat it. I just want to eat it. And you realize that when you look at what gets put in, that stuff that's baked. Let's take the recipe plan. They lay out the butter, the sugar, the flour, the eggs. We're not asked to eat those individually, are we? Matter of fact, some of those we might, but we're not asked to. By themselves, they might not. Well, some of them taste pretty yucky. I don't want a mouthful of flour. That's disgusting. But when you mix that stuff together and you put it together according to the plan, according to the recipe, according to the way that it's intended, each one of those by themselves, oof, they're not so good. But when it's put together according to the plan, it's great. It's great. It's great. It comes out and there's a cake. There's cookies. There's brownies. You know, I haven't had enough sugar lately. There's cheesecake. There's homemade ice cream. In and of themselves, by themselves, those ingredients don't taste so great. But when we hit those things and we hit the button and you put them together as their plan, we look at it and we go, ooh, 
and I had everybody going, mmm. Everybody's stomach started to turn, and you're going, preacher, don't you know you're not supposed to do that? I'm hungry already. I love you. But I can stir you even more. But you know what? It all started when Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Things looked bad, but God had a plan. Joseph says to his brothers, you sold me, but God sent me. Those two words, but God, change everything. I find it interesting that anywhere in the Bible, I, I had a professor in college that told me this, and I had to go search it out, and I've searched it a couple of times. If you will take those two words, but God, and you see them anywhere in Scripture, go ahead and look at the change that goes with it. It's a fascinating study. Because every time you see those two words together, just like that, and it says, but God, you know what? Something great's going to happen. Something good's going to happen. And it gets exciting. But God commendeth his love toward us. God demonstrated his love toward us. That's, there's the cross. You look and you go, but God. We could go through, and I, I, I end up in a wood chase tangent all night long on that. But we look at it and you say, but God sent me. Those two words changed everything. Their plan, Joseph's brother's plan, was to eliminate Joseph, but God's plan was to elevate him, was to lift him up. Their plan was to lower Joseph into the pit, but God's plan was to lift Joseph to the throne. Their plan was to desert Joseph, but God's plan was to deliver. Their plan was to sell Joseph out, but God's plan was to, to pick Joseph up. This is why Joseph could say with 100% confidence, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. But God. I don't know what, uh, what we might have, we could walk through and say, what have I gone through? I don't know how unfairly we've been treated or, or been treated, but how unjust our circumstances may have been or how bad things may have been for us. But I know this, I can tell you, whatever else we, we think or are hearing, God's saying right now, everything's going according to plan. No matter what else we hear, God's going according to plan. Let's be clear, the verse doesn't say that all things that happened to Joseph were good. No. Matter of fact, Jesus told us there will be perilous tribulation times, difficult times. It's not going to be easy. Matter of fact, his enslavement, it was good. He was in prison. His imprisonment wasn't good. But what are you going through right now that might not be good, but what is guaranteed is that God will take care of the bad and all of the evil and turn it into good because it's God's plan. For the entire life of every one of his children. So when somebody throws us under the bus, leaves us holding the bag, gives us the short end of the stick, leaves us high and dry, the plan of God is always to use it to accomplish his plan. Remember this, God's plan is bigger than, than you and bigger than your plan. God's plan is bigger than your plan for you. Let me never question God's purpose. Don't question his purpose. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what's being done to, to the saving of many lives. God doesn't, 
play games with our life. God has a purpose for our life. He has a purpose for, for every life. He has a purpose for everything. Joseph didn't know it, but, but the purpose of, uh, of everything that happened to Joseph was so that he could place Joseph in a place to be a savior for the people, for his family. He was not just to be a savior for his people, but so that his people could bring a savior into the world and deliver all people. See, every plan has a purpose. Every plan has a purpose. God doesn't react when things go wrong in our life. God doesn't react to anything. Matter of fact, he, God acts before everything. God providentially funnels everything that happens to us, you and I, into a container of his, his plan so that at the end of the day, his purpose is accomplished. It took Joseph 23 years to finally understand what the purpose was, which was saving the lives of many. What lives was he referring to? Who needed to be saved? Earlier he had said this to uh, to the disciples or, or to his, his uh, uh, yeah, to his disciples, to his brothers. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. Back in chapter 45, he wasn't just trying to save his family. He was trying to save his family who would become a nation that would send a savior into the world. So if his brothers don't sell Joseph into slavery, he doesn't go to Egypt. If he doesn't go to Egypt, there'd be no Israel. If there was no Israel, there'd be no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there'd be no salvation for the entire world. Joseph didn't know that one day a famine would come that would destroy his family, but God did. Joseph didn't know that being in prison would lead him to the palace and put him in a position of such power that he could literally save an entire nation, but God did. Joseph didn't know that God had sent him to Egypt, so ultimately his family would give birth to the nation of Israel from which Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would be born, but God did. When you rewind the tape, you see that God had a purpose for the pit, for the plantation, and for the prison. It was also that Joseph could be put into the palace where he would have the power, the position, to save the family, a nation, and a world. Every time Joseph was put, put where he didn't want to be, he was right where God wanted him to be. Because God had a bigger purpose and a bigger plan in mind. So don't be afraid. Verse 21 said, I'll provide for you and your children. You look and you go, there he is. And, and he reassured them. And he spoke kindly. That's when you know you've been forgiven by someone. Forgiveness is not just words that are spoken. But it's action taken. Action taken. Forgiveness is not just said, it's shown. See, only the water of forgiveness can quench the fire of bitterness. When Joseph's first son was born, he named him Manasseh. Which literally means to forget. I think that's an interesting. He named his first son to forget, and that's exactly what Joseph did. He didn't hold a grudge, he didn't look back. 
This was a doctor that healed himself because he didn't take the, the place of God, forget the providence of God, doubt the plan of God, or question the purpose of God. The God that was controlling every event in his life still sitting on the throne today. I just have to surrender to his plan. We just have to say, here, God, I want your plan for my life. I think of our friend, Brother Sheldon Mincer. He sings it, and I told him not to sing it the last couple times he's been here. I like the song. He says, God's got a plan for me. No matter what the circumstance may be, sometimes I may not understand my life is in his hands, but God's got a plan for me. I love that song because it reminds me. It's that reminder. God's under in control. Somebody says, I don't understand why I grew up with the things that are going on when I'm in the process of growing up. Guess what? I don't either. Somebody looks and says, you know what? I, uh, I, I can walk you through and I can give you the sob story. I lived it. My wife can walk through and she can give you the sob story. She lived it. You know what? We are broken people needing God's touch. But no matter what's happened to us, no matter what happened in the past, no, what ha no matter, even if it's in our adult life, you realize that he's still there ready to forgive us with arms wide open. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants us to come to him and say, here, Lord, here's my life. I'm going to trust your plan because I'm going to trust who you are. Not to run my plan, but God, I'm going to trust yours and follow you. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that you'd help each one of us, Lord, to come to that place where we say, yes, here I am. God, I know that you got a plan for me, and Lord, I surrender to that plan. Lord, if you want to move us, move us. If you want to change us, change us. Lord, you want us to forgive, you want us to... Lord, may we open up our hearts. tells us that you'll give us life and you'll give it more abundantly the freedom of saying here I am I don't have to worry it's not about my strength but yours is in control so help us to stay put to say here here am I think of Isaiah when he was jumping up and down in the throne room going Send me. I'll go. Lord, may we raise our hand and say, all right. I'll do what you call me to do. I'm going to put you in my life. No matter what. No matter where. I'm going to go. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. 